Amen. Amen. Good evening. Good evening, good evening, good evening. <laughs> well, we, uh, <clears throat> seems like there was something I was going to tell y'all, but I forget what it is now. Uh, let's go ahead and turn into Romans. And chapter 4, so we've been talking about the two parts of life, the two parts of life. Part one is God's love given to us and poured out to us. And part two is our love given to God and given it back to Him, okay? Now... Most of the time, when we're talking about the two parts of life, uh, most of the time what we've done is we've looked at uh, the Lord and said, man, I'm not good enough. And so the I'm not good enough in our head has driven us to fall into condemnation. And then all of a sudden, when we need to believe part one, that God loves us, all of a sudden we have no faith for God to love on us because... We are in condemnation. Thank goodness Jesus has removed that condemnation. But you've got to understand that part one, God loving on us, is more of a priority to God than part two, us loving on him. Okay? And uh, turn, turn the volume down. It's giving me feedback. So we've got to understand that this is a priority to God. Part one, him loving on us is his priority. If that was not true, Jesus would not have come for us when we were enemies of his. If, if we did it, if we lived life the way that most people believe, most people in religion believe, then Jesus would not have come for us because we were all screwed up and we didn't have any right to believe that Jesus would come for us. You know, there's some people still today that are not born again because they believe that they're not good enough for God. Because religion ultimately has taught them they're not good. I've talked to people before, and they're getting up in age. Maybe they're hitting their last days, and they say, I'm, I'm not good enough. You know, I've ne I'm not good enough for God to accept me completely opposite theology of what actually God did through Jesus Christ. So we've got to understand that God does care and it is important to Him what we do. All right? I'm not saying that it's not, but it's more of a priority that God love on us than it is for us to love on Him. But if we fully by faith receive his love for us, then faith without works is dead. Our faith is going to show some of the love that we have for him. In other words, if we really do receive part one, part two is going to be an automatic. And if we're not seeing a part two, the fruit of our love back towards God in our lives, then we need to check, did we ever receive part one? Did we ever receive his love? 
This is, a, this is a really good indicator of if your life is heading in the direction that it needs to be. If I'm messing up part two all the time and I'm not really correcting and growing, then did I receive part one or am I operating in it correctly? You right? A lot of times we haven't received it in the way that we need to and that's what's holding us back from living the life that God has for us. That's exactly what this whole series is about is we, most of us have received part one, but we, there's been areas of part two that we've missed. And so when we dive into this series, we start to see there's more to this than what we've seen before. And as we see more that the Lord has for us, when, as we see more, all of a sudden we are empowered to do it better. Okay? Now, one of the most interesting things is uh, if you go into, I want you to see this, in Romans chapter 4 and verse 25, we talked about this last week about resurrection power. So it says, He who was delivered over because of our transgressions, so who are we talking about? Jesus, that's right. I felt like uh, the movie The Apostle. Jesus, Jesus. <coughs> Who delivers us from all our sins? Jesus. Who's delivered us over because of our transgressions? Jesus. If you hadn't seen that, you should go watch it. And he who, de- who delivered o- who he who was delivered over because of our transgressions was raised because of our justifications. Now, in the Young's literal, it says this: Who was delivered up because of our offenses? and was raised up because of our being declared righteous. Now, we made this statement last week. In other words, I want you to see this. Jesus went into the grave because of our sin, because of our mess-ups, but he was raised up because God said we were righteous. Not Jesus in that moment he said we were righteous in other words the sin pressure holding Jesus down in the grave was now wiped out and there was nothing left to hold him back he had to come up out of that grave there was nothing holding him down victory was won over death hell and the grave and it was because God said the father said all my people all my people There's no sin anymore. I have removed it. I'm not holding their transgressions against them. It's removed as far as the east from the west like it never happened. And no longer does it have the power to hold Jesus down. And so we made this statement last week. When we were declared righteous, our sin no longer held Jesus in the grave. What does that mean for us? That means the curse in your life in our life, obliterated. Obliterated. There is no more curse on your life. The only curse that we have is where somehow we don't know how to get rid of it or we've accepted a piece of it because of living in a cursed world. But when we get revelation of this, everything that has held us down, it's been obliterated. 1 John 3, 8 says, Jesus was manifested to destroy the works of the devil. And that's exactly what he did. He was manifested to destroy it. So what does that mean? 
That means that every piece of salvation that we need, talking about eternal life, talking about healing, restoration, deliverance, protection, everything, there is absolutely nothing in the way of you and salvation any longer. Nothing. You need one of those things, there's nothing standing in the way but your own belief. You can believe it or not, but now you know about it. This is the end result of the gift of righteousness. In other words, the reason why we set on the gift of righteousness, and we will continue, is the gift of righteousness is key to this working correctly, to the two parts of life to work correctly. Because if you don't understand the gift of righteous and righteousness and that God has declared you righteous, then what you'll do is you'll walk up to this two parts of life and say, I don't deserve part one. I don't deserve his love. And then you're going to say, you're going to say, well, I don't deserve healing. I don't deserve uh, the manifestation of God's goodness because I've been so bad. But when you understand the gift of righteousness, you walk in and say, Jesus did not deserve my sin, yet he took it so that the one who did deserve the punishment now doesn't have to have it. And when Jesus came up out of that grave, there was nothing any longer that can grab on to my life and say, you can't get rid of me, God. All of that was knocked away by the resurrection power of Christ. When God said, you're righteous. We're righteous. So this is why the gift of righteousness is so important. So once we understand that, we can step into the place where we can literally say, biblically speaking, every piece of salvation is mine. I have it now. I have it now. There's nothing there that could hold Jesus in the grave. Not one ounce of sin that could hold him there any longer. And now that means that there's not one thing that could hold back salvation from me. Because we've been declared righteous over in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. That's who we are. There's nothing. So in order for us, remember... What we want to do is we want to love properly. That means we complete part two of the two parts of life well. In other words, we want to make sure that we're doing what we need to do, that we're loving on God to the best of our ability. But we love because He first loved us. So in order, in order for us... To complete part two properly, we have to have received part one because his love empowers us to love. And we can't receive part one correctly until we understand that we are righteous in the eyes of God as believers. It doesn't mean that we don't have some issues to work out. It doesn't mean that our flesh, but it does, you know, when God himself calls you righteous, then it is pride to refute that. And all of a sudden you start to realize, I have a right to walk in some things that the devil has told me I didn't have a right to. This is why, see, if we were not righteous, condemnation would have something to cling to. Paul said in Romans chapter 7, a few chapters later from this, he says, who will free me from this weight, from this sin? 
thank God it's Jesus. And then he goes into chapter 8 and says, There is now, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. See, if you weren't righteous, condemnation would have something to cling on to and it'd have a right to be there. But it doesn't have a right. Condemnation has no right anymore because you are the righteousness of God in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. That's who you are. So do you see how why we've been hanging out on the gift of righteousness so far because now that you understand that you start to receive God's power better now and more and in the right way in the right form his love his power the manifestation of who he is and now I can love on God better and what he's trying to get us to is this where salvation works across the board but if you have to understand here in verse 25 this comes as an end, this is at the end of the chapter, there was a whole bunch that happened and was said in the rest of chapter 4 that we need to understand. In other words, how does righteousness come? So we want to go back and look at, all right, if I want to love on God in part two the best, which means I've got to receive his love first, then I need to find out if I'm going to live this life to the utmost of my ability through Christ, I need to find out how do I receive that gift of righteousness in fullness. How do I receive it? How do I walk it out? How do I walk out that, that love? And chapter 4 is pretty much talking about how to receive that righteousness. So we're going to look at it, but I want to show you one other thing. If you go to chapter 10... Turn over to Romans chapter 10, the scriptures you've heard me use quite a lot. In verse 9, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Now what exactly happens? For with a heart, a person believes. So when they have faith in their heart, in the core of who they are, it results in what? Righteousness. The result is righteousness. You're righteous. And with the mouth, out of that righteousness now, he confesses and that results in salvation. So what is that salvation? Salvation is basically being saved from whatever problem it is that you have. Think of a problem right now that you'd like solved. Or a few. <laughs> Think about that. Now, here's what you need to know about God's salvation. All of those problems are already solved in Jesus Christ. Every single one of them. So once we're in righteousness we can actually receive the salvation in that area that we need. See, most of the time when this is preached, it's always talking about, and there's a great scripture on receiving eternal salvation, having that uh, door open to the loving Father again and receiving Him and you, re you receiving Him and Him receiving you through Jesus Christ. This is exactly what this is talking about. But when you talk about Jesus and you talk about Him being a Savior, you are not going to stop his saving character and his saving nature from being saving. 
In other words, he's going to say, yep, I want to connect with you again, but while I'm here, <laughs> while I'm here, whatever issue or problem you've got, let me just pour some of that out on you and pour a little bit of this out on you and throw some more to you because it's his saving nature. It's who he is. In other words, let me bring you healing, prosperity, protection, restoration, preservation. Let me bring all of that to you, deliverance. This is all, and when you go into the words that say save and salvation, all of those are in the definition of that. In other words, as a child, I start to see that salvation is not just what the adult person has taught me that salvation is as a child you say somebody's a good person you tell that to Luke right now at three he thinks if you tell them he's good that person's good in every area of their life they don't have any problems he's good he's a good daddy he's a good coach he's a good whatever he's good he's good at church he's good he's a good eater he's a good player he's a good sleeper he's good in every way that's the way a child thinks and when we look at the Father, we got to think with the faith of a child, and that's how we enter into his kingdom, his, the king's domain, where he has rule now in your life. Now, wouldn't you like for God to have rule in your life, knowing how good he is? See, when you know how good he is, it's like, man, Lord, take over, you know, because what's he going to bring to you? His goodness, his love, everything is awesome. And how do we enter into that domain, his rule? We become as a child and we start seeing, all right, Lord, you say you're good. I believe you're good in every way I can imagine it. That's the way a child thinks. That's childlike faith. This is, this is a huge, huge point. So when he says this, see, most of the time we've looked at verse 10 and said, this is eternal salvation. This is that link back between me and the Father. And it absolutely is. But inside of that, you know, the greatest way to look at that is here's this big present called salvation that God just gave you. But when you open it up, there's a whole bunch of little presents in there. And it's saving you in your finances, saving you in your body, saving you from bad stuff happening. It's saving you, saving you, saving you, saving you. In other words, if you have a problem, there's already a solution in salvation. Well... When you receive that righteousness in verse 10, out of that righteousness, salvation is manifested. I simply confess, confess out of my righteousness, and if that's the will of God, then that salvation, that solution manifests. It is really that simple. It's really that simple. It's us that make it complicated. And actually, when you get down to the simplicity of it and you push away all the adult thinking, you'll be like a child with it, and guess what? You will receive. I've watched over the years of ministering. I've seen this time and time again. You give me somebody who's a big thinker, a deep thinker, right? I like, I like thinking like that. It took me forever to get anything accomplished and receive anything. But you give me somebody that'll just walk up and say, okay, like that. And, and man, it'll be like, boom, and healing comes just like that. Why? Because, you know, the guy trying to be the deep thinker, he's got to figure out all the connections and all the stuff. And he route it way over here and then back over here and then woo and back. Finally, maybe one day the, by the mercy of God, he'll help and he'll get healing. 
But the one who just says, okay, that person can receive just like constant. Why? Because it's childlike faith. And it's not that we shouldn't study to show ourselves approved. We should. I mean, I enjoy, I like connecting the dots. I mean, you can uh, just listen to me teach. You'll see, yeah, I like connecting the dots. But when it comes to believing, I just need to believe. I just need to make it simple. Part one, God loves me and his priority is to get his love to me. Everything else pushed to the side. That's why we're talking about it like this. Because if we can just see it in that way, what we're talking about is the reasons why and how to get better at it and how to receive more. Because what we're doing is we're pushing all the corruption of the world out of the way in this teaching. Why? So that we can go to the point where it just becomes simple. But you can just start right here and go, okay. I heard, I heard somebody one time, they said, and they were ministering, and here's what they said. They said, you just, he said, you know how you can put a car in neutral? You know, you put it in neutral. And um, he said, you can take, you know, really a big vehicle. And if you just keep applying pressure to that, you can get something that's very heavy moving after a while. One person can do it. I mean, I've, I've jump-started my own car multiple times. You know, that's what you do when you, you know, were in bondage for a while. And uh, <laughs> so, I, um, and so anyway, you just keep pushing, right? And you can get it going. You can get it moving. Well, he was saying, you know what? If you just come up here to the altar, I know he was ministering to somebody. He said, I know you got all kinds of stuff trying to figure it out and go all this. Just come up here and put that in neutral. And let me just show you and push you towards the love of God, and you'll get healed. And I understand that better now than I ever have because it's like if you'll just, if you'll just open up yourself to the Lord, not to me, but open yourself up to the Lord, just let me push you in the right direction. We'll get you healed. We'll get you delivered. We'll get. But see, people aren't willing to do that. They want to resist. They, want to, they, they got this shield of faith built up on the wrong things. And all of a sudden, you know, they're, they're doctrine this and doctrine that. And they're having a hard time receiving anything because, you know, they don't have it in neutral faith as a child towards God. We can go into this scripture right here and we can just say, man, I'm righteous. And if I'll just confess it, the will of God, you know, if any two agree as touching, confessing as touching something concerning the will of God that what that's saying is if we will just speak what the will of God is and we agree on it it shall be done it shall be done so this is where we're getting to this is what we want to get to is where we just we push all the doctrine we push not that doctrine is bad but the bad doctrine we push to the side but we don't even get wrapped up and bound in the legalism of good doctrine we just receive, God loves me. Man, he loves me. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you. And you just move to that simplicity, and all of a sudden, you can receive. It's awesome. Just like that. I mean, you can receive so fast. So what we're doing is we're just finding a way to push all that to the side and make this simple. And that takes a lot of time kind of unteaching stuff that you've already learned wrong.
including me. I'm, I'm learning as I'm teaching this. So let's go back now to chapter 4. What we're getting to is the end of that chapter where everything that held back your salvation, everything that stopped the flow of the love of God was removed because it could not hold Christ down anymore and it can't hold your salvation because as soon as he came up out of that grave, every bit of salvation became yours. Every ounce of it. As soon as he came up out of that grave, it was all yours. Had your name written all over it and the devil could not stop it. Couldn't stop it. It's yours. You might not open it, but it's been under the tree, so to speak. We're learning how to open it. All right? So in verse 4, and we'll just go uh, start at uh, verse, chapter 4, verse 1. What then shall we say about Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, has found? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. So in other words, if he just lived a good life, he would have been righteous by that good life. And he would have had something to boast about. Hey, I did this good. But how's that, gonna, how's that good going to be compared to in front of God? Like, let me compare God and a good person on the earth. It's not even going to be close. It's, it's just not even going to be close, right? So God had to find a way to bring us up to the place where the good was equal. That's what this is getting at. God had to find a way to get our righteousness equal with the righteousness of God, which we know happened by the time we get to 2 Corinthians 5, 21. But we were made the righteousness of God through Christ. So we weren't given our own righteousness. We were given the righteousness of God, that gift of righteousness. Verse 3, for what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God. He believed God. And it was credited to him as righteousness. I just want to throw this in here right now. So what did he do? How did he get righteous? He believed God. He trusted him. He believed him. That's it. How do you get righteous? Just believe him. Just believe him. Trust him. It's, it is that simple. Now, but here's what I want to show you. When corruption entered this world, and then here's the question. You are the righteousness of God in Christ. However, do you still have corruption attached to you? Well, the spirit is 100% renewed and the righteousness, and that's the real you. The mind is only renewed as is how much you've renewed it. That's your responsibility. And the flesh is not renewed at all. The only thing you can do with the flesh is put it down. But the flesh is always going to be the flesh until we receive a glorified body. At this point, we still have a corrupted body and it still always wants to do what the flesh wants to do the wrong stuff anti-god okay so here's the thing in the garden you notice one of the first things that comes up is 
Adam and Eve, what are they questioning? They want to know, you know, why, how, when. All this knowledge that they want to acquire. And, and what, I want you to see something because this is definitely connected. You go back to what I was talking about a few minutes ago with the, the person who wants to figure it all out, right? That person, are they going to, generally speaking, are they going to have a harder time receiving or an easier time? What? Generally harder. Why? Because a lot of times they're asking those questions because the world has taught them that in those questions is the answer. Let me put it this way. Uh, fill this out. Fill in the blank. Knowledge is blank. Knowledge is power, right? Who taught you that? Huh? Schoolhouse rocks. <laughs> Knowledge is very important. Knowledge is very important. But where does the power come from? God. The power comes from, I'll tell you where it comes from, it comes from your righteousness. Here's the thing. Here's a, here's a truth, okay? The corrupted flesh, very, very important. The corrupted flesh always wants to ask why, how, when. It always wants to know. What tree did we eat from? Whoops. <laughs> and now that flesh still to this day is still asking, I want to know, I want to know, I want to know. I even see Christians all the time. They'll go from one church, get everything they think that guy knows, and then they'll go to the next church and get everything they think that, and then go to the next church. And then you'll, you'll even see people a lot of times, they'll go to school and go to school and go to school, but, but in, it's like in all they're getting. They're trying to in all the, they're trying to get 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 get. It's a part of the corruption. It's not that learning is bad. He says, study to show thyself approved. He says, be like a good Berean that goes back and studies, searches the scriptures. It's not talking about that. It's talking about you have to recognize that a lot of a hunger, there's a lust for knowledge, versus a godly desire for knowledge. And there's a difference between the two. And let me just put it this way: there's a fine line between those two. And that takes some time, I would say, uh, spending, praying in the Holy Spirit to figure those things out. So anyway, you recognize that, that there, that lust for knowledge is almost always, well, lust for knowledge in the wrong way. It's always headed in the wrong direction. This is what God was wanting. He's, he puts them in the garden, and here they are, and they're... they're eat from that tree and now they're wanting to figure stuff out and you'll see it all through the word where even like with Job's friends where we started this what are they trying to do figure out why this happened how it happened and how not to get it uh, get back there again what are they after knowledge the lust of knowledge this is why Job's friends messed up, which we started this series on, because they were trying to figure out with their head, out of the lust of knowledge, what to do. The law. In other words, they were trying to accomplish part two, loving on God by keeping a list, before they received the love of God, part one. They had it in flip-flop. That's why it didn't work. 
you'll notice that God constantly takes us back to the place and is always asking us not for us to answer the how, what, why, when, all that. Here's what he wants to, us to answer in the affirmative. Do you trust me? That's it. Do you believe me? Do you trust me? Do you believe me? That's it. That's all he's doing. Do you believe me? Are you like a little child with me? Do you trust me? That's what God's asking all the time. Will you trust me? Think about every situation where you're you know, going after a faith project. And that faith project, you start feeling like I need to exit the race of faith. I need to stop running and go, I, it's just not working. What's really happening right there? I don't know why. I need to figure out why and how, and I need to make it happen on, the, on one side, but on the other side, what's happening? God's saying, do you trust me? Do you trust me? That's really what's going on. Do you trust me? All right. Verse 3. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God. Abraham said, when God asked him, do you trust me? You're the father of many nations. Do you trust me? Abraham said, yeah, I do. And God credited it to him as righteousness. Now we know the power of that righteousness now. So all of a sudden, resurrection power in a dead body, two of them, came to life. And life was in Abraham and Sarah. Where did, what was the, what was the uh, seed of that? Righteousness. Verse 4. Now to one who works, his wage is not credited as favor, but as what is due. In other words, if we're trying to do this and just complete the law, well, that's what's required of you. This is due. You, you owe that. So when you go to the law, when you go to part two of the two parts of life, without receiving part one, then there's spiritual law in place that says, well, you owe that anyway. But if you will do that out of love, not just fill in a... Uh, filling, fulfilling a list and checking a box, you will do it out of the law of love and not just fulfilling the law. All of a sudden, that's an act of faith. I'm not trying to do, I'm not trying to get it all right. I'm doing it because I love you. All right. But to the one who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited as righteousness. Now, any one of y'all that uses that verse to sit at home and not work, I'm going to pull up and slap you, okay? All right, good. So don't take something out of context. All right, amen. Uh, but the one who does not work, in other words, what is our work? To believe God. And if we believe God, then our works are going to, our works are going to follow what we believe. All right. Who believes in him who justifies the ungodly. His faith is credited as righteousness. Now I will tell you, when you start moving in this level of faith, you know what one of the most, uh, one of the things that you're going to feel in your flesh the most and the devil will be whispering to you? 
Well, you're just being lazy. That's what the flesh will be trying to tell you when you're believing God. Now, if you're hearing that, there you could be just being lazy. I've been at the place where I have been just being lazy, and I've been at the place where I was in real faith. If you're starting to hear that, that's when you come to the shepherd and help. I can help you figure out what's actually going on. That's a very important place, but you will. Once you start operating in real faith, it feels at times because you've been taught all your life to check the box and fulfill the list. And if you're not doing this, you're lazy. You've been, you, because all of this religion has made you a slave to works. And if you're not in works, then you feel like you're missing it. So when you start stepping over into this, you're going to have to release that. And to somebody who has what the world would say is a really strong work ethic, that is going to bother you. And that probably, to me, was one of the toughest things to get over. I had to get comfortable with leaving something alone and, and say, no, I know what God's told me to do. And I'm doing, I am doing the best work I can do by believing him and being obedient. Because those that love me keep my commandments. Now the question is, and what you have to decipher very clearly, and this is why you have a shepherd is, did I actually hear from God on this? Or was that just me wanting it that way? And that's what you have to work through. All right, you getting some out of this? It says, but to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited as righteousness. So the one who's heard from God doesn't try to just check all the boxes off, but believes God. His faith is credited as righteousness. Righteousness that unlocks the salvation of God. It brings the answers. Just as David also speaks of the blessing on the man to whom God credits righteousness apart from works, David said, Blessed are those whose lawless deeds have been forgiven and whose sins have been covered. Blessed is the man in whose sin the Lord will not take into account. He won't even take it into account. It's not even on your record. You know? There's, there's a lot of preaching that says, well, once you got born again, you know, you, everything you did wrong, and even before then, you're going to have to give an account for it. Well, account for what? Because God ain't taking it into account. There is no record of it anymore. That's why he said, I separated as far as the east is from the west. This is why he, when he separated you from that sin and that transgression, he can lawfully say you're righteous, even though you used to did that. You used to, you did that, and you used to do it. Amen. Y'all got to keep up with me. <laughs> In is this blessing then on the circumcised or on the uncircumcised also? In other words, what he's going into now, he's talking to people and he's saying, look, this is not under a works of the law. And he goes on to explain that. Let's skip on down now to verse 18. Talking about Abraham. Uh, do, 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 do. 
Go to verse 16, excuse me. Verse 16. For this reason it is by faith, in order that it may be in accordance with grace, so that the promise will be guaranteed to all descendants, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, A father of many nations have I made you, in the presence of him whom he believed, even God, who gives life to the dead and calls into being that which does not exist. This is a tie to our words uh, lesson that we've been in on Sunday. This is where God says things, calls those things that be not as though they were. That's what this is. In other words, this is a character and nature of God. He sees something that needs to be that's according to his will, and he speaks it out. In this case, Abraham needed to be a daddy. And he said, he is not only a daddy, he is the father of many nations. That's who he is. So God said that before in time, before time that Abraham actually was. Now, it says, in hope, against hope, he believed, Abraham believed, so that he might become a father of many nations according to that which had been spoken, so shall your descendants be. So the in hope against hope, just will you put up uh, the new living, please? Anybody ever read that verse and gone, what? <laughs> Me too. Huh? So in the new living, it gives us a really good look at this. Uh, verse 18. And it says, even when there was no reason for hope, Abraham kept hoping, believing that he would become the father of many nations. For God had said to him, that's how many descendants you will have. We also put up the Amplified there in verse 18. In the Amplified, it says, you know, it's saying basically the same thing. For Abraham, human reason for hope being gone. In other words, according to worldly logic, there was no reason for him to be hopeful. He had no life in his loins anymore. Sarah had no life in her loins. In physical logic, there was no reason for him to hope. But he took the promise of God and said, I don't care what I see, God is being God. This goes, man, you, all right, you see in connection? God is being God. On the fleshly side, I feel like I've got nothing left in me. I see that I've got nothing left in me. But over here, God has made me a promise and God is being God, whether I can see him or not. And even though on this side of things, I've got no hope, on the spiritual side of things, I'm taking hope. Amen. That's what, the, that's what this means. So, and this is what we need to do no matter how we feel about our righteousness. How many people feel like they are scot clean with the Lord? I mean, if God walked in here right now, you would just feel like, Oh, God, let me, let me come love on you. Or how many do you feel like you'd be like, Ooh, don't look over here sometimes, you know? And maybe right now you feel good, but how many have had those moments where you would want to hide? All right, see, that's a feeling, and that's what had been going on in this world. But over here, God said, you're righteous. And here's what he would be doing. Why are you hiding? Why are you hiding? I love you. Why would you not come to me? I love you. You're righteous. 
See, it's almost when we see it that way, we start to understand why, you know, it's almost, it, it's really a slap in the face to God when we run with our sin instead of turning towards God and saying, help me get out of this, which is exactly what Hebrews 4 is talking about at the end, that Jesus is our advocate. All right. In hope, against hope, he believed. So when we move into moral righteousness and our understanding of righteousness, that means that we have to put down our feelings and the situations that we see in this physical world and receive the promises of God and the spiritual truths over physical facts. You can have physical facts, but there's spiritual truths that are greater. For example, when the little girl was dead and Jesus walked in, he looked at the spiritual truth that said, she's, she's alive. And so he walked in and said, she's not dead, she's sleeping. And they laughed him to scorn. How do you think he felt right about that moment when everybody in there started laughing at him? Do you think his flesh went, oh joy, this is going to be awesome. I just feel great right now. No, 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 I'm sure he had, he had to deal with feelings the same way we do. Yeah, man, I wish they weren't laughing at me. But he knew something that was stronger, a spiritual truth over here that was about to destroy the works of the devil and that physical fact. In other words, over here he had no hope. Over here uh, he had hope. And he had to believe in the hope of the promise of God more than he believed in the feelings and what he was seeing. So when we're moving into righteousness and operating in it and the gift of righteousness and receiving the love of God, we must understand that we're going to go up against things that we see and feel that are trying to present themselves as truth, but they're counterfeit to the promise. And we put our hope not in those facts, but in the promise of God. Amen? This is why somebody can be sitting there and they're sick, but they really shouldn't say that they're sick. They should say, what's the promise of God and what's this world telling me? And what am I now going to say made in the image and likeness of God? Am I going to say, I'm sick? Or am I going to say, I'm healed? All right. So the truth says, and this is, you know, and then you got people that don't understand this because they don't know about spiritual things and they're like, well, that person's lying. No. They're speaking a higher truth. This may be a fact, but this is a higher truth. Which one do you want to come to pass? Well, if you want to stay sick, keep talking about the lower, the lower fact. But if you want to get well, you speak the higher truth. That's exactly what Jesus did in that situation. And when we're moving into our righteousness, we operate on that level. And we have to say, I'm going to hope when there's no reason for hope. Well, you're healed. You're healed, but you're still coughing. Well, that may have been the case, but I'm healed. You know? And we don't try to argue this down with people that, that don't know even about how all this stuff works, right? You know, so one of the things that's important is that you, you know, 
it's like when somebody says something to me and it's wrong or whatever, I don't try to argue them down about how, you know, why this stuff that I see in the scripture and I know about and then try to prove it to them. Generally, if they're arguing with me anyway, they're arguing for the wrong reasons. It's not a, they're trying to prove themselves right. So you don't try to prove yourself right. Don't do something wrong back. You just learn how, how to speak that. In other words, a lot of times what you can do is... When, I'm, when you're sick, let's say, and you need healing, do you need help or do you not? Yeah, you do. You do. So how do you present that? Hey, Pastor, uh, I'm sick. Well, you just claimed it. You just spoke the lower truth. Is that what you want? Then don't say that. So you, here's one thing the Lord showed me. This is just a little side note here. Here's something the Lord showed me. You can speak and still be in faith by speaking in the past okay in other words I was sick if I was sick I was sick a second ago and now that has passed and that was a fact for that in other words I you'll hear me saying this a lot I have been dealing with or I had been dealing with this sickness but I'm the healed of God in other words because if I say I'm sick now I'm prophesying and I'm bringing to life that sickness. I'm claiming that for me now. But if I have been dealing with it, then I can talk about, hey, that's, that's what I had. I've been, I had been, I've been dealing with that, right? Okay, you just told me what you've been dealing with. All right, then right now I agree with you. You're the righteousness of God in Christ. There's nothing that held Jesus down in that tomb. There's nothing that will hold back his salvation from you now. Bam, be well in Jesus' name. And, that, and that's it. That's how you work that. Okay, that was a short, quick lesson, but I felt, actually, earlier today I saw myself talking about that, so that's interesting that it came out. So, verse 19, Without becoming weak in faith, he contemplated his own body, now as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb. So look, he thought about it. <laughs> it was a reality to him. They were 100. You know, according to the world, you ain't having no more kids. <laughs> you, you passed that time, <laughs> right? He contemplated it. He thought about it. Yet, oh, man, with the, we need to get this right here and get this in us. With respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief but grew strong in faith giving glory to God with respect to the promise of God hey yeah <laughs> he, he's, his testimony his thoughts I got no more life in me yet because God has told me then that's the way it is and instead of going oh because this went on for 25 years 25 years from the promise to the son 25 years See, we're getting flustered at like three months. I don't have a job yet. Three months. Oh, ah. You know, we're getting flustered. Like two or three days, four days. We get flustered. 25 years. So why is the father of the faith? 25 years. No baby. No baby. No baby. He did mess up in, in the middle there. Wrong baby. <laughs> and then he, then he got, but 20, that wasn't a baby of promise. <laughs> You know why? 
because he went to try and make it happen himself. Yeah. But then he, he stepped right back up and said, with respect to the promise of God, he grew in faith. He grew. That faith grew and became strong to give glory to God. And then the promise came through. So this is, this is why uh, faith needs patience. By faith and patience, we inherit the promises of God. Just because you don't see it yet doesn't mean that the promise is not working. Keep growing your faith. Keep growing it. That promise is not null and void because you hadn't seen it yet, because a calendar date has turned. That promise is not null and void. Every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God will accomplish what it was sent to do. Amen? Yet with respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith, giving glory to God. And, now here's another thing we need to get. Being fully assured that what God had promised, he was able also to perform. King James said, being fully persuaded. We need to get to the place where we let that promise fully persuade us. Bring us to the place of full assurance. So how does that apply to part one and part two? That means that we're the righteousness of God. What does the righteousness of God get us? It gets us the love of God that's a priority to us. So we need to get to the place where it becomes full, where we become fully persuaded that God's priority is to love on me. God's priority is to love on me. And when we get that, because of what he's written, all of a sudden, his love can manifest in our lives. And, and God's priority is to love on me. Just say, say that with me. God's priority is to love on me. God's priority is to love on me. Now, why, see, a lot of people would hear you saying that, and what would they think? Well, that sure is selfish. That sure is selfish. And why would they make that comment? Because they don't know that your loving on God is dependent on God loving on you. And you can't complete part two right without knowing that God's priority is to love on you. When you start learning that and making and realizing that and receiving that as a child, you start to move into the place where you can receive God's love and now you're empowered to love back. We love because we first loved God. Those that do not love do not know God. You don't know about Him. You don't know His ways. You don't, you don't have intimacy with Him. You haven't received from Him. That's what's holding you back. And it's the goodness of God that leads men to repentance. In other words, if I'm going to love on people, then I've got to receive His love first. And I'm not going to receive it if I keep having a check in the way that doesn't think that God wants to love on me. God's priority is to love on me. Being fully persuaded, fully assured, we need to get that in us. That what God has promised, he was able also to perform. Therefore, when Abraham was fully persuaded, it was also credited to him 
as righteousness. When he believed that what God said about that son coming, when he said, I believe it, God said, you're righteous. You're righteous. Now see, here's the thing. Look right here. Not now, not for his sake only was it written that it was credited to him, but for our sake also, to whom it will be credited as those who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He who was delivered over because of our transgressions was raised because of our justification, was raised because of our righteousness. In other words, all you do is look toward Jesus now, Romans 10, 9 and 10. Confess Jesus as Lord and believe with your heart that God rose him from the dead. What are you believing there? You're believing that your sin could not hold him in that grave any longer because I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. This is what we're believing when we believe on Jesus as Lord. That you're righteous. That I'm righteous. And once you hit that place of righteousness, you have rights. And there's nothing holding back the love of God. There's nothing stopping part one. God's priority to love on you. There's nothing holding that back anymore. You can't stop it. And now all of a sudden, that love works and flows through in you and through you to all the world. And that's the plan. Amen? Yeah. Amen. Father, we just thank you. Thank you, Lord, for giving us faith, the measure of faith, so that we might be made righteous. Thank you, Father. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for your Son. You did not have to do a thing about our mess-ups, but you loved us more than our mess-ups and made us your priority. Made getting love to us your priority. Lord, when we love somebody, they become our priority. And you declared, when you made us your priority, that you love us. Lord, we just thank you for it. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And we praise you and we worship you. And Lord, we're not repaying you. But your love motivates us to love you back. And so, Lord, now receive, Father, we ask that you would receive your own love through us back to you. In our actions, in our thoughts, in our words, in every way, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Have a great night. Thank you so much for joining us.